Today, author Foss Ruggiero stops by to talk about these two amazing books that he wrote, The Fix Yourself Handbook and The Fix Your Anxiety Handbook. Right now, it feels like the world is spinning off its axes, and with that is going to create a whole lot of anxiety for people. It's also going to make people kind of analyze how they want to spend their time, where they're at in life, and maybe perhaps make some changes. Do they know how to do it? Well, that can create anxiety, big changes, you name it. So as we kind of maneuver through it, we've got two books that might help with that. And Foss stops by to talk all about it on Do Did Will, the story of People Podcast. Hanging out with me, author of the Fix Yourself and the Fix Your Anxiety Handbooks. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be with you. I uh, love speaking to authors because I am fascinated with people that can write books. <laughs> that commitment to sitting down, putting pen to paper or pencil to paper or whatever uh, process it took for you to get there. I am, I respect the the process and, uh, and wow, good for you. So and you got two of them with one on the way. So uh, yeah, I love, I love speaking to you, to you guys. It's great. It's great. Um, uh, we're going to dive into a few things today. You've got uh, some very important novels under your belt. The world is kind of spinning a little bit off its axes. So I do want to cover off a few things today based on some of the things that you've written and uh, maybe some advice for our listeners and watchers today. But uh, before we get rolling through that, why don't you tell everybody uh, in this fine world, uh, what do you do? Well, and then I've been a psychologist in private practice for about 30, 35 years, but it's over 40 years in my career. And, uh, you know, I'm just the guy that uh, uh, wants to fix things, wants, you know, to help people understand who they are, um, the powers that they have, uh, you know, and, and just uh, let, let's put some quality into life if we can. Psychologist first, author second. Absolutely. That's right. Uh, but it made it easier to write the books. Um, you have got two under your belt, as we discussed. So um, uh, we'll get into it. The Fix Yourself Handbook was the first one, uh, using the process way of life to transform. And the second book uh, that you put out after that is the Fix Your Anxiety Handbook. And we'll dive into the next one that's coming out. They're both very important topics right now, considering what's happening. But just not just around the world, but just people coming out of COVID and various things. There's definitely anxiety. And there's people that need to do a bit of an audit on themselves as well, and maybe the people that are in their lives. So um, writing those books, um, is this something like you sit down to to decide to write the book? Are you constantly writing in like writing as you're going through life to write the next book? Like how, how do you def, how do you balance between the two of being of writing and also being a psychologist at the same time? You know, if I didn't have a career that spanned so long, I would probably be doing that. Uh, but what happens is when you counsel as long as I have, you amass so much information <clears throat> that when it comes time to write, I just decide on the topic uh, that I want to write. I begin doing the basic research I, that, I, that I'm going to do. I write an outline for the book, so it's chapter by chapter. I know exactly what I want to say. Then I, be, then I begin writing, and for me, writing is dictating. <clears throat> I think it's a lot more accurate for me. And, uh, and then it just takes off. 
Uh, the first book took a long longer time. I was just learning what to do. Uh, the second book I wrote in about, um, I'm thinking eight, nine weeks. And this last book is just, is finished. Uh, that was done in about six. Um, so, you know, it's the, the, the knowledge is there. It's just now putting it into a format that people can understand. It must be a huge undertaking to sit down and write a book. I've got a friend who, who writes, who designs and draws and, and does comic books for a living. And that's always like, like a big like accomplishment when that comes out because there's so much work that goes into it uh, i've had other friends write books uh it just seems like a massive undertaking but it must feel extremely uh rewarding when it comes out and then the feedback that you get from something like this especially when you're helping people like this for a living uh it must feel incredible to take the knowledge that you've accumulated over the years and put it in you know pen to paper and then have it come out and people buy it you know, it is it, it, when you look at it in, in the bigger picture. However, I'm not one to um, to look at the accomplishment, if you will. <clears throat> it's out. They're reading it. And that, it, it, what's interesting, the first book uh, I wrote in, you know, three year process and uh, it, I, I get my author's copy in the mail. I picked it up and felt nothing. I thought I was going to say, oh, my God. And I realized that it's real for me. It's about the process of doing it. That's always uh, for me. Once it's done, it's in the past. It's over, hmm. um, you know. And then you know, you promote it. You talk to people about it. Uh, you help them get to the point where uh, there's a little bit more understanding about what you wrote. Uh, but then it's on to the next one. So you know, we 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 did that one. And obviously, I, anxiety is taking over the world. <clears throat> so it made sense to go there. Uh, the next book is about depression. Obviously. Hmm an obvious jump and then there's this you know a, a seven seven eight books planned so you know it'll just go as one is being published i'm starting the next one it's you know did they approach you about uh, like the publisher approach you about putting it out or did it was it something that you had the idea and you had to go find people to put it out it, it was my idea and you know it's it's interesting that you asked that um you write the book and then okay now it's time to try to get an agent um, so uh, I did that and I had two that were very uh, willing to work with me, but what I was finding is that uh, now it, would be, it, was, it was becoming their vision, not mine. <clears throat> so I actually uh, went and decided to, you know, stop the process and uh, self-published. And uh, that's what we're doing. I have a team we put together. It's a couple agents work with us, but there's a copywriter and there's a publicist and uh, a publisher involved. And we just now have the vision I write it. Everyone gets involved. It stays on track, and we put it out. How is how easy is that process to actually physically publish it? Because I would imagine the, I would imagine the the the, the publishers that you would go to would have a vision like, hey, we're going to put out five hundred books, or we're going to put out a thousand. In music industry, you have to decide how many records are back in the day, how many CDs you were making, or how many you know, shirts you're going to sell based on you know not going in too far in debt. If you're self-publishing this book. Then it, you must have to sit back and kind of look at your social media, look at the people in your life, and look at that market, which is obviously massive. So, is it like it, you've done two? You've got more on the way. It's it's clearly worth it to you to do it, but the process must not be that that easy. If you focus on that big process, it gets overwhelming. I just go day to day in what I'm doing. Um, what I'm going to write about today, what I'm going to edit today. 
Uh, and when you do that, you, uh, you're so focused, all your energy is in what you're doing, uh, that, you know, the project just takes care of itself at that point. <clears throat> we have everyone involved. I write it. I edit it. Uh, I'll do three or four edits myself. Then it goes to the copy editor. She has that book, the third book now. It'll come back to me. I'll do some editing again. She'll get it again. And then when, it, when, when we're, we're satisfied with it, then the publisher gets it. And that's nothing more than doing the illustrations and setting up the, uh, the format. Sure. Uh, and, and he does that. And then when we're ready, I say, yep, sounds good. Stamp of approval. He uploads it to Amazon and whoever else. And there we go. It's not when you understand it, it's not that big monster. <clears throat> but I always tell everyone before you start writing a book, learn about the publishing industry first. Mm. <clears throat> I I would say that that that's the that like if it's anything like in the music industry as far as the publishing side goes and trying to you know share it out and get it out, it must be even more competitive. I would I would I would think it can be. You know, I, I was uh, intelligent enough to surround myself with good people. Uh, so when I said, what do I do now? They said, next step, do this. Um, I remember when the first uh, book came back from the, from the copy edit the first time, and it comes back in Microsoft Word, and on the right side are all the either corrections or suggestions. And I looked at it and I said, oh, my God, there must be a, a thousand here, you know? Yeah. Uh, and at that point, that's when I said, okay, I got two options. I can, you know, just be beside myself on this and say, oh, man, I don't like this. Or she's going to be my best friend from this point on. So I went the second route, have no resistance. It comes back and I just, oh, okay. And I said, I wrote the darn book. I'm sure I can do some of the corrections. And the corrections might be you said this once or you said it a little differently here. Can we merge these two? Um, this is a little long-winded. That, that basic things that, uh, that, uh, you know, that they're trained to do. And when you do that, it's just, you know, the whole process, you know, what's going to happen. And then you just plug in and go. That's all. You actually physically sit down and writing with pen and paper. Or are you actually sitting down in front of a computer and doing it? I am sitting down with a computer. Yeah. Uh, we use Microsoft word. Yeah. I have a microphone and I dictate. Okay. Uh, so this way, as I'm doing this, I, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm your typical average uh, typer, you know, didn't have to learn that, had sure. to, started to realize it when I said, okay, I'm going to write books. And I said, oh my God, you know, carpal tunnel, here we come. Uh, and then someone said, well, why don't you dictate? <clears throat> I said, well, I was going to get the, all these programs to do it. And they said, it's right in Word. You can dictate right in there. So I just dictate. That's amazing. And then, you know, so I'll dictate maybe four or five pages a day and then I'll edit them. I'll go right back and edit it at the end of the day. Next day we pick up from there. I'll quickly read what I did and go to the next chapter and go. It's scary where AI has come probably since you've written those books. And now there's going to be all these tools are like, well, you should think about this because it'll make your life easier about that. But you want it to be authentic. So what a time, what a time to be a creator right now. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, In your first book, you talk, uh, it's titled um, the fix yourself handbook. Uh, So can you walk me through um, a very simple question for you? but I'm sure you cover off a great thing, a, a great deal of, of this subject, but how can people fix themselves? You know, when I started 
to think about what which book I wanted to write first. Uh, that was the first one, and it got about 36 chapters, and I went through all different kinds of things that plague people. <clears throat> Honesty and emotional health and um, uh, you know anger and fear and all those things. Um, and what I wanted to do was to, uh, to put a, a, an initial text that had all these uh, various problems. Publishers did not like that. They wanted me to stay on to one or two topics. That's what people tend to do. Um, but we we, we uh, stuck with we kind of stuck to our guns and and uh, put that book out. And the answer to your question is, <clears throat> how do you fix yourself? You get honest about it, and you decide this is what is not working. And that that's the first step. I call it brutal honesty. You've got to be able to look at yourself and say, I'm going to hold myself accountable. I'm going to be honest. I know these things have to change. I'm going to stop blaming other people and other events for what's not working for me. I am going to go inside me, so to speak, and I'm going to define these things and I'm going to uh, you know, take it on and work the processes I have to work to make those changes almost like a life audit. I, I felt like I was in a situation yeah. back in the mid 2000s and, and I had moved across the country and wasn't feeling amazing about myself just in general and, and had kind of made a big life change, but then also it came with a life audit. Mm -hmm. And I found that when I started with that audit of like, where am I, who am I, who's in my life, who's providing value? Am I, am I providing value to them? And it was this, this whole audit on, on myself that I had to do, which felt scary, but also quite amazing to do it at that time. So, um, I, 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 I call it the life audit, but do you have a definition for, for that? And you can call it that, uh, you know, what, what I call it is, uh, looking inside to the strengths you have, everything we need is already inside us we have to go and access that. And what you just said is what I talk about often. We've got to stop focusing outside of ourselves. You know, we're trying to keep up with this one. You and I were talking about, uh, you know, being in the middle, so to speak, not being in the left or right. Um, in, in, you know, uh, people are trying to define where they're supposed to fit in. And that is impossible. Uh, if you're going to do this, you're right. It's an audit. It is a, 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 an intense and in-depth review of self to say what works, what doesn't work. The, the first thing you're going to do is purge. I tell this to people all the time. You're not going to pull your car into the packed garage until you empty the garage. Mm -hmm. So you need to empty yourself of all the negativity, all the stuff that's not working for you. Which is a scary, it's a scary for a lot of people. They have to fit, look in the mirror and face yeah. the reality that maybe these people around them uh, aren't their friends. You know, it's so easy to, to, to accumulate fake friends or just weekend friends or something that you prop up as your friends. But then ultimately at the end of the day, I think I heard a saying one time, with like we really only have five people in our life that we can rely on. When it's all said and done, everyone else is just kind of floating around in, in the system. And I think that people get scared of this idea that to move forward, they have to remove. And, and it's people, places and things, you know, it, you know, uh, I remember going way back, um, back in the eighties, uh, I was hired to work in a prison and the job was drug and alcohol counselor. 
<clears throat> and I um, got certified in addiction and, and I wasn't, re- I'm not recovering. I, I don't, I don't drink. I don't have much of a problem with anything like that, but I learned the 12 step program and, you know, they talk a lot, as you know, of people, places, and things, and you've got to determine what works. Most of the people are not going to work for you. you. And that's, you know, that's a, a, a difficult concept to embrace, but you know, someone comes in the office and says, I only have three friends. And I said, that's great. You only need three. The rest are acquaintances. Enjoy them. Don't don't take every, anything too serious about them. Have your little inner circle. That's enough. Uh, and and then we start a purging process. Get, let's get everything out there that doesn't work. All the people that don't work, uh, the things you're doing, the places you're going, all that stuff that you're trying to fit in. <clears throat> I always use the analogy that when I was a kid, my father used to talk about. Um, his friends that drank and they were acquiring a taste for scotch. And I said, well, geez, dad, if you don't like it, why would you want to acquire it? Mm-hmm. And I'd say that with friends, you're, what are you doing? Are you, are you trying to put these people in your, in your life? If there's that much effort, they don't belong there. Good point. I mean, and it's how we want to spend our time, right? We only have a limited amount of time. I'm a massive proponent of, of time. And it's like the only commodity in life we don't get back. So, you know, even our health can be fixed to some extent by following some of these tools that you're presenting mentally anyways. Um, but our time, we don't get back. So how do we want to spend that time is a big, big thing for me. Um, so that being said, uh, how did you do it then? We'll move on to did uh, the books came together based on your experience. But walk me through a little bit of, the, of that history for you. You said you were in a prison. Uh, but and, and, and reading your bio, obviously, it's taken many, many different forms from addiction counselor to uh, alcohol and then just other things. So how did you get to this space where you're at right now? A lot of that was by design. Um, uh, I knew maybe I figured about 10 years or so after graduate school, I wanted to go into private practice. But before I got there, I wanted to have enough reference points so that I had things to draw on prison, working in a prison was one. I worked with deaf kids. I worked in clinics, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, corporate uh, settings, all that kind of thing. I wanted that all to be in place so that when someone came into the office, I had things to draw on. So I've kept it as diversified as possible. <clears throat> so now when it came time to write books, there was a load, uh, you know, of reference points, a lot of things to draw on. So, you know, when, uh, when we, when when I talk to people and uh, you know, they'll ask a question, I can usually go to the answer very quickly because uh, th- there's enough experience in all these different places. So that really set me up, uh, not only to counsel, but to write. Um, you know, I don't get writer's block. I don't have to think about, overthink what about what I'm doing. It's right in front of me. What portion of psychology do you enjoy the most? You've done through addiction. You worked with deaf children. You worked with you know various things. Helping people is, is at your core. But where is that spot for you that you feel most comfortable in this space? Uh, it's just what we call clinical psychology. It's just uh, you know, I I'm one of those uh, people that loves people and loves to be with people. Uh, so every time I meet a new person. It's a whole new gift. It's like Christmas all over again. Uh, I get to go in and learn about someone. I get to meet them and help them peel off layers of their lives and and, and make some changes. And uh, so for me, 
that part of, of, of psychology is the counseling. It's the listening to people. It's the getting in there and really, really getting close with them and establishing that trust uh, relationship and then watching them kind of, you know, uh, unfold, watch their lives unfold step by step and watch them embrace those those changes and understand that with all of those changes, uh, you know, they're, uh, they're becoming stronger and stronger and they're realizing it. And then they start to like the journey they're involved in. Let me ask you this then, if, um, can you turn it off? Quickly. You can quickly turn it off. So if you're sitting at a group of people over a dinner and maybe, you know, everybody, but maybe there's just somebody there talking out of their ass like a lot of people do. Like, you know, they're like, oh, they're, they're, and this happened and this. And they're kind of giving you the water cooler version of something where they all of a sudden, like the rest of the world, all of a sudden became a, an expert on COVID or, 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 <laughs> or, or, you know, vaccines or whatever. Like, I'm just, just, just saying that knowing what you know and what you've learned about people, is it difficult for you to sit at that table? Or do you have to turn it back on to correct that person? How do, how do you turn that hamster? I don't correct them. You know, uh, it's funny that you ask that. My wife and I have a little, not a rule, but this the, the way we uh, uh, guide our lives, if you will. Uh, we don't talk in conclusions. And that's what's happened in this nation <clears throat> and in the world. Uh, people will say, oh, that's that way because, and they'll give you this. And, and I always say, I, I talk about the three questions deep. If you really want to trip them up, you just, I don't try to change your mind. I just ask questions because uh, really it's all about information. If I give you all the information, not the conclusion, you'll, you'll come to your own conclusion and that's fine. <clears throat> but what we don't do is we don't allow each other to uh, express information. Once the topic comes up, the, the authorities just seem to come out of the woodwork. So I just ask a few questions and then I just pull back. And then usually if they know what they're talking about, they'll provide more information. More often than not, the conversation stops and they will quickly divert and go on to something else. It's an, I mean, it's going to lead to this question. I'm, I'm desperately need an answer for and help with. And I think the rest of the world needs help with, which revolves around living in the middle. But, uh, do you feel then uh, uh, putting those own tools in place for you to prevent yourself from getting fully immersed in that conversation when you either a ask those questions or walk away from that situation and say I, either I can't get involved or at minimum I feel rewarded after like like how I handled that do you still get that boost like yourself of saying that you've put your tools in place to help you through that situation of that dinner table that you don't want to be at anymore. You know, it it used to be that way. After so many years of doing it, however, it's like you walk into a situation and you already know if it's going to start, you know what to do. So as it's going to unfold, I'm already there. I can, I'll quickly, like the, 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 the radar, if you will, goes out and I'll say, okay, that's one I don't think I want to get involved in. Or uh, even if I do, I'm not going to change any minds. And even if I give them information, and, and I mean, they could bring something up, uh, something about counseling, something about uh, anatomy or things I've studied. And I'll, and I'll say, well, you know what? This is how that works. They'll correct me and say, no, no. So 
I already know. I, I, I'm comfortable with them either being part of the conversation and growing or remaining stagnant and stuck in, and stuck in their mess. If that's what they want, I'm comfortable. That's it's them that they're doing that. I'm not, I, I don't take any responsibility for changing their mind or helping them to think better unless they want to do that. It's just like someone comes in the office for counseling. If they come in for counseling and I give them, Hey, we, we work through this and Hey, try these things now. And they don't do it. I don't say, Oh my God, what am I doing wrong? I say, well, I guess they didn't want to. Right. I can only counsel you as far as you're willing to go in that conversation. I can only converse with you as far as we can, as we're willing to go. If we're both willing to, uh, to uh, put some information out there, the eventual conclusion will arise based on our information. Or we'll say, we're not really sure about the conclusion, but we had, we had a, 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 you know, a nice uh, conversation that felt good. If it's not going to be that, I don't take responsibility for someone else's decisions. Conversations right now can be a split, like a splitter of that table. It can take a it can take a dinner party and take it south pretty fast. I'm assuming that you would go into any of these scenarios knowing maybe who's going to be there. Maybe you get invited to something. We all have certain friends now. Our our friend groups are smaller, but in your scenario with your colleagues and some of these people that are around, I'm sure you get invited to various different things with all sorts of people. And I've had to kind of adapt to the new scientists of the world that learned everything off of Facebook or ironic or, or, or weird articles that they just find floating in space. Um, I understand people's needs for knowledge and trying to go and, and, and inform themselves and educate themselves on certain things. Uh, I, um, I do lean towards various scientific approaches though, which is, Hey, if it's already been proven, why are we still trying to prove it? So um, I guess I'm having a bit of an issue in the middle. Uh, not me personally. I love living in the middle. I call it alt middle, which is basically, I don't want to go all the way left or all the way right, which I find a lot of people are doing right now. You almost, you almost uh, have to feel like you have to pick a side, but every week there seems to be a new subject that people can fight about. I've never felt the world off its axes like this uh, in my whole life. I'm, I'm, 48 and you know I've, I've i've there's been some some moments mm -hmm. but um after 2019 i felt like the world was off its axis a bit and then of course we were introduced to the pandemic and then we had a whole bunch of things that happened out of that and i find myself living in the middle because i think that everyone got a little bit too far right and left and i'm having a hard time navigating it now because let's just say the tensions in the Middle East. I was just in the Middle East. I did six, I've done tons of time in Saudi Arabia, Tel Aviv, all these places. And everyone was wonderful to me and, and great. Uh, but then obviously there's politically, there's a lot of things happening and a lot of history in those markets. And then after I try not to timestamp these interviews, but let's just say that, you know, given everything that's going on um, in Israel and some of these other things that are happening, uh, it is now starting to, you're starting to see people online, but maybe before where they weren't posting about the vaccine or where they stood now it's like either pro Israel or pro Palestine or, or, or if you like one or the other, then you're, you're this, you're that you're, you're, there's so many things. So uh, I know that's a, a bit of a spiel by me and I 
and I'm trying to wrangle it in, but I do, I do would lo- or would love to get your advice on how to live in the middle and, and come out of it mentally feeling okay. You know, as, as we talked before, I, I live in the middle too, but years ago, middle meant kind of you're independent, you're non-committal, that type of thing. It's not that the, all, all the roles have changed. When I was in college, uh, to be a liberal mind meant we entertained anything. If you brought it up, we were willing to listen. We were liberal. Our minds were liberal. Today, liberal aligns way left, unfortunately, and then we have way right. Uh, and, and people will actually ask you where you are today before they get to know you. Uh, a lot of labeling going on. Um, so it, it really, for me, was the, ability, the uh, decision to redefine what my middle was and my middle for me is what we said before my middle is information that's that's what my my middle is um the people on each end are not good the reason they go to the end is they need a conclusion but they're not good or not patient enough or not willing to uh, uh look for honest information they're looking to substantiate conclusions so I, I let them do that. Um, what I find is that um, when I'm in the middle, they're, they're one, I, I have them very concerned because they don't know where I am. If they, they bring something up, I don't give them mm-hmm. a conclusion. As I'm doing that and I'm letting them fight it out, whatever, and I ask my questions, it puts them in a position to be off balance. Believe it or not, they will attempt to come more toward the middle because since I'm not on either side, I'm not seen as a threat. I have had some conversations. I, I mean, I'm around tons of people all the time when I travel. I'm, there's up to 100, up to 100 people traveling with me at, at one point. On tour. So you're going to get all sides. That's been happening for years. So sure. There used to be a jokey part about it. It's like, oh, you're the, this Republican and you believe in this and da 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 da. Like people used to joke about things. I would say even in the 90s, uh, obviously the world changed after 2001, but I really feel up until at least 2001, it was a bit more jokey about where you stood, whether you were liberal, more, more liberals or conservatives kind of hanging out and and playing in the sandbox together. And now it just seems very, very much right now it's split like crazy. And why, like uh, you were taught, you touched on people needing conclusion. Um, so why do people need conclusion then on both sides, on left and right? Why is it so difficult to be in the middle? Because they're not secure in who they are. They need to know who they're going to identify with, who is going to have their back, if you will, <clears throat> where their identity is going to be. So people who, uh, you know, conclusion people, if you will, they need to know where they're going to belong. And, and I'm seeing that, you know, people come in the office and they'll, <clears throat> you know, online dating is the, the, the thing that carries all the romantic world today and they'll say people will ask questions like um well before i even uh, think about going out with you do you like trump and i'd say that's the question 
<clears throat> yeah, and and then the person will say, I don't know what to say because I don't know w- which side they were on. And uh, and I usually tell them if, if they ask that question, you, you don't want to be with them. But we need to identify with someone. There is perceived safety there. Uh, there is uh, identity uh, and, and a sense of belonging. Even if the even if the like theoretically, it's absolutely insane. Like, is there yeah. a point where people yeah. go? Is there a people and I mean, is there a point where people kind of look at that answer? What you just said, where it's like, well, no matter what, like I've and I've heard people in America that no matter what happens, I can't vote for Biden because I'm just I'm I'm a I'm a conservative. So I can't, I just can't out of principle, whether I like Trump or not, or the other way saying I can't vote for Trump uh, because I'm a, I'm a, a, a liberal at heart uh, and he doesn't get, they don't give me any more options, which I do believe is a thing down there, which is tough. You know, up here, we're, we're about six months behind you guys, as far as if it, if it, you know, it, it's not, it, it, we're, we're behind you, but it's not too far off. Uh, and my travels around the world, it's funny when you you talk to people and they really don't care what's happening over here. It's only everyone over here that thinks everyone else around the world cares about what's happening here. And it really splits it. It really splits the atom. And I, and I, I just find it interesting that um, people just can't seem to get back to this middle. And it's, it's kind of becoming frustrating for me. It must be frustrating for you. If you feel good about yourself you're confident, you're honest with it, which is such a big key, honest with yourself. Uh, you don't need left or right where you are. You don't even define it as middle. That's another thing I don't do. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't think about in or out of the box. I just think about how I think. Uh, so I guess that's why I don't have time. I don't have a problem navigating all this. It's all about information. It's all about getting the right information to essentially formulate a plan and execute a plan that makes sense. And um, I'm I'm comfortable if they don't like what I had to say, I'm okay with that. Doesn't matter. Um, Ultimately, it's being comfortable with yourself. Bottom line. Wherever you are, left, right, middle, as long as you're comfortable with yourself. But you know, what I define as the middle as you and I are talking about it, is me. It's me being comfortable with me. That's all. And if I am, I might stay in the middle or I might say, well, no, I, you know, I really back that conservative approach on this one or that liberal approach on this one. It doesn't matter. I don't, does, I can sway if I need to. I can go where I want to go because that may be where the information took me. But I'm very comfortable. So my middle is me. Uh, I don't think I, I don't need to be pigeonholed in either place. The last thing I want to say is, well, you know, geez, um, elections coming up and um, boy, I'm left or I'm right. And I can't vote there because I'm supposed to be over here. And, you know, well, and the candidates uh, are talking. I say, well, do you support abortion? I don't know if I can vote for you or, or, you know, what's your thing on diversity, right? You know, to run a country, there are a thousand different things we have yeah. to know, and I'm going to vote on one, and I'm watching them all do that. That's where conclusion people go. Mm, I'm comfortable point. with me. I am the middle, and that's where we all should be, in the middle. 
I've always been like, as long as my streets are, uh, my roads are fixed up the street. Uh, I think people all of a sudden get that get uh, get confused on federal uh, up here, federal versus provincial, uh, federal versus state. Uh, and I think that's, I think there's, there needs to be like a, a show featuring both people from right, left, and middle, quote unquote, all sitting around here going, no, no, Arkansas, that's a state issue. It's not a it's not it's not a america issue or canada it's like it's that's a ontario issue that's not a and i think people go oh i didn't know that and i i think let's get that part out of the way first and defining like what is actually a federal problem versus a state or provincial problem which i think confuses the shit out of a lot of people so <laughs> it does because you know what 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 it's interesting that we're talking about this when i wrote the books my chapters are 5 6 pages long as you as you know uh, I did that because people don't have an attention span to read a 30 page chapter and then extrapolate the information and come to conclusions. So what we what's happened in our society, you talk about that axis thing we're talking about. It's because we're not information seekers anymore. We're conclusion seekers. We go on Facebook and read a headline and a little blur under that. And then we we talk to our friend and they say, did you hear this is what's happening now? And, and, you know, there are times I've seen the headline and I say, really? What did you think about this part of it? And they go, oh, I didn't see that part. I said it was right down in the article if you would have read it. I love that quote. We're not info seekers. We're, we're not. conclusion seekers. We're I think, I, well, I'm an info seeker. So am I. And, and you know what? <laughs> but it's funny. Being an information seeker, you constantly feed your brain. Yeah. And your brain feels that nurturance. It feels that growth. And that's just a wonderful feeling. Conclusion people are always fighting. So now, so they're dealing with negative energy. The information provides positive energy. And we know that there's time management, that's great, but there's energy management. Where am I putting my energy mm -hmm. every day? Am I gonna put it into fighting this one off and having this argument? Or am I gonna put it into uh, you know, a, a positive way to gain information, feed my brain and have all those answers in, in not that I even have to use them, but I, it's always the process of information acquisition. That's what it's all about. It feels good. Foster Gerald here with me today, author of two books so far. That's a uh, self-published amazing. I'm, I'm so jealous that you have the ability to do this. I'd love to write one one day, but it's a long, it's a long journey. The fix yourself handbook was the first one. The Fix Your Anxiety Handbook is the latest one, and you've got a brand new one coming out. So let's move on to what will you do next, sir? What's the plan here? What's the next book? <clears throat> By the end of the year, we hope to have the, uh, the Fix Your Depression Handbook published. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, that'll conclude this initial part of the series. Uh, once that gets uh, published, I'm thinking December somewhere, then I'll start the fourth book. And that one's going to, that one's going to, be one of those ones that you know initiates the controversy it's the fix your discrimination handbook um and you know that's where i'm going to attack attack so much of these conclusions and uh not doing information the way we need to so that one uh will come out sometime next year you said you have not a plan for nine versions yeah nine different things mm -hmm. what kind of subjects are you looking to do relationships we're going to do anger fear um we might do something with children um you know and so we've got i think we have seven 
defined and uh, can go to nine. We'll see how, how, how things pan out. Do they all tie in together? So I, I wanted to talk a little bit. I did have a question for you about addiction and sort of getting your definition of it. Um, as you're writing these books and you're talking about depression, you're talking about anxiety, do they all feed into addiction? I think you'd write a great book on addiction based on all these things that you've already well, that's, that's to, to, one of the things we're talking about, the Fix Your Addiction Handbook. Um, it's interesting um, how when I started counseling addicts, how it changed my life <clears throat> because that program, that 12-step program is – we like to call it a program for addicts. It isn't. It's a program for life. Mm-hmm. If you really look deep into a twelve-step program, it's all the all the, the keys you need to live a happy life. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, and and I have some of that information. I I, I allude back and forth uh, to that concept uh, in the book. So I, the the, the I, I fix your anxiety handbook has a little bit of people, place, and things. The depression book has has a a chapter on that also <clears throat> so i never really get away from all that's why i say have all these reference points mm-hmm. and you know i'm writing i get there and i say well i'm going to put this out oh but there's that people places and things uh, concept again so it, it i never fully get away from it do you think um uh, i get asked a lot because i don't drink anymore i'm coming up on five years and people often ask me oh were you addicted or were you you know um to alcohol or uh did you were you an alcoholic or did you go through uh, alcohol anonymous or these various um, programs? And I often get asked like, what is addiction? Because people are, you know, they could be addicted to anything really. And I feel like potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the things that you touch on in your books actually lead to the addiction portion of it. So if you got high anxiety, obviously, and you drink a lot, potentially one is, is, is helping the other. Do you have a definition of addiction? Addiction to me is, uh, I, I always talk about quick fixes, uh, getting happy quickly. Uh, but, but, you know, so, uh, we use it to get happy quickly. A lot of people will tell you about, um, uh, using it for stress and using it for for euphoria uh, for fun. It is uh, genetically, people are predisposed. That's what we're find. We've found this. It goes back thirty years. <clears throat> so it it is to me. I I, I don't want to say the medical model, but it is a genetic predisposition to certain um, substances, certain ways of living. Some people will become addicted. Uh, you know, here, here's the guy that takes up fishing and he gets a fishing pole and a net and something to put his fish in and he goes and has a good time every now and then. The next guy does the same thing, but he's got 12 poles and uh, he's got, you know, a, a, a garage full of gear because he can't stop acquiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, it's really uh, an, uh, an, an intellectual, emotional predisposition to not be able to stop doing something, not be able to turn that off. And if you do the work on the others, potentially it'll help. Yeah, it's one of those things you attack as much as you can. But the key Mm -hmm. is you get up every day and take care of business. That's really all it is. I I got the information, I'm gonna make these decisions. Sometimes I'm gonna be comfortable with it, sometimes it's gonna make me uncomfortable, but I wanna make the right decisions and eventually, it all it all just falls uh, falls together. 
Well, I appreciate the time today. I uh, We could talk for hours about many, many things, but uh, you generally get paid for these sessions, so I'll keep it to... <laughs> 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 now, keep it to just the facts so we can promote the stuff. Where can people find you online, and uh, when do we expect the release of the book? Uh, you can find me online on, on my website, my name, fosterrogero.com. Everything about me, uh, the books, and everything is there. There's a contact link. If anyone wants to contact me, I do get back to people. And uh, uh, the two books are out, and the third book should be out. The Fixed Depression Handbook should be out by the end of the year. Fix it with Faust. Is that a thing still? Uh, fix it with Faust is a radio show I do. <laughs> That's great. Do you have a podcast too that you do? You ever thought about doing doing something I have that would turn one into and it? I get to it. It's just me though. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, and I think I've done about thirty five episodes. So we'll uh, I get back to that now that the writing is stopped, and I'll do try to get one out every couple weeks or so. Well, hopefully you'll come back down the road. There's lots I'd love to talk about, especially when, as we get topical and things start to, I don't know, maybe potentially getting back on its axes or getting further away from its axes. I think having these conversations are, are important for everybody to listen to that might be struggling. I uh, highly recommend that you um, check out Faust and uh, the Fix Yourself Handbook, the Fix Your Anxiety Handbook, and soon the Fix Your Depression Handbook on the way. I really appreciate the time, sir, uh, and uh, for stopping by today on Do Did Will, the Story of People podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. All the best with the new book. I can't wait to read it. That is Do Did Will, the Story of People podcast this week on the Cryer Media Network. Uh, again, check out Fost and all of the things he's doing. Check out his podcast. Uh, hopefully you guys um, are feeling great after, after listening to this today. I thought you were extremely insightful. And uh, remember, um, if you're into just conclusions, maybe try to get some answers. Try to get some more information. I like that advice. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, guys. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's Take This Outside, a new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's Take This Outside, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca.